everybody be cool. You be cool. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Is this a dream? Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I thought not. The word they'd be wrong. Come with me if you want to live. I'm Catherine, and today I'm joined on the podcast by Richard Daniels and Sarah Maherta of the Kubrick Archive at the University of the Arts London. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the classification history of Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Now this is a film that we receive a lot of requests about, both from students and listeners to the podcast. So we thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the classification history, and also to talk about the kind of materials from the film which are available in the Kubrick Archive. So welcome to you both. Thank you. And before we launch into the film, can you give everyone a quick introduction um, about who you are and what you do at the Kubrick Archive? Thank you, Catherine. Yes, um, I'm Sarah Maherta. I'm the manager of the University's Archives and Special Collections Centre. The centre receives about 1,800 visitors a year, and about 80% of those visitors want to see the Stanley Kubrick Archive. We generally support teaching, learning and research at the university, so our collections are very strongly used to support curricular activity and to support new work created by students as they go through their courses. We also help and support academics from other universities and higher education institutions who want to publish or research for a publication, maybe a chapter in, um, in a book or an essay in a, in a journal. Also for people who want to make documentary films that might refer to the Stanley Kubrick archive or Stanley Kubrick's work. And more recently we've been carrying out a series of oral history interviews with people who worked and lived with Stanley Kubrick, which we can also use to support everyone's research. So my name's Richard Daniels and I am the Senior Archivist at the University of the Arts London and I'm also specifically responsible for the Stanley Kubrick Archive. So I suppose my role is basically making sure that we can accommodate all of those researchers that um, Sarah talks about and trying to help work with our teachers and our students to let them get the best out of the archive and I'm also, I suppose, our resident expert on Stanley Kubrick. It's always good to have a resident expert on Stanley Kubrick. It helps, doesn't it? Everybody should have one. Everybody should have one. And I've been down to the archive myself, and it is a fantastic resource. You've just got so much material in there, and so expertly stored and preserved. It's really, really impressive. Um, And coming back to this particular film, A Clockwork Orange, now there is a case study on our website about the classification history, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit so we can talk more about the materials in the archive that relate to this film in particular. The BBFC was initially shown a screenplay which was based on Anthony Burgess's 1962 novel, A Clockwork Orange. And the BBFC advised the distributors that a film like this showing so much vicious violence and hooliganism would be unlikely to be acceptable at any category. However, when the film was finally submitted to the BBFC in 1971, the age bar for the X certificate had been raised from 16 to 18. And therefore, the board felt that the film could be passed at X as suitable for adults only without any cuts. And the BBFC secretary, Stephen Murphy, actually defended the film. And he said that, disturbed though we were by the first half of the film, which is basically a statement of some of the problems of violence, we were nonetheless satisfied by the end of the film that it could not be accused of exploitation. Quite the contrary, it is a valuable contribution to the whole debate about violence. 
So although the BBFC passed to X and the BBFC Secretary Stephen Murphy came out and explained exactly why he believed it was completely fine for adults to see this film, there was a really strong reaction from the media and also from the public. So BBFC received a lot of letters, there was a lot of campaigns against the film, there was concern that young people would copy the violence um, carried out by the main character in the film, Alex, and that it would inspire copycat behaviour. And... By 1973, there was so many reports of alleged copycat violence and there was letters sent to the Kubrick family and just a general sense of pressure. Kubrick withdrew the film from circulation in the UK. So there's a lot of myths bandaged around that it was banned by the BBFC when in fact it was actually Kubrick who took it off shelves. And it wasn't until after Stanley Kubrick's death that his family agreed to permit the release of the film again and it was submitted in 1999 and was passed 18 without cuts. And also the video version that came in in 2000 was also rated 18 uncut. So Richard, I know you've had a look at our uh, film classification file for A Clockwork Orange. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you? I think what was what was most interesting was, um, uh, first of all, the amount of letters that were received by the BBFC um, complaining about the film and complaining about the fact that they'd allowed this terrible piece of work to, to go out there. But what was most intriguing to me was how vociferously Stephen Murphy um, argued back and actually went out of his way to make a case for Clockwork Orange being you know, out there. He recognised that there was some form of concerted campaign against the film and he became one of those people who prominently went out there to um, talk about the film's merits. And so how do the letters that we have in our archive compare to the materials that you have at UAL? Well, intriguingly, we don't have a huge amount of personal correspondence that is critical of the film. That's certainly of interest to us, and and as as any archivist will tell you, what you don't have in your archive can sometimes tell you quite a lot about things as much as what you do have. But what we certainly have is a large amount of press material. He gathered together all reports, any reviews, any press material related to that film. Also, what's quite interesting is we don't have very much about the BBFC classification, and this is probably, as you were saying, as far as Kubrick's concerned, he submitted the film, it got passed as an X with no demands for cuts, so he didn't need to do anything about it. The only demands made by the BBFC on Kubrick for his film was actually for the trailer. The trailer and the teaser trailer, he was um, told, were too fast and concentrated too much on the violent element of the film. And also, Stephen Murphy made specific reference to the fact that it's been observed that lots of flashing lights are not very good for epileptics. Did you know about that? And so he's almost giving him a a couple of lessons on style uh, as well. And Kubrick, at the very last minute, resubmits a a cut trailer. He follows the instructions as best he can and he sends it last minute. And um, what's really nice is you see throughout the archive when you're looking at Kubrick's written um, correspondence how very friendly, open and polite he tends to be in writing and so he sends this really quite sweet memo saying I'm really sorry to bother you at such short notice but we really need to get on top of this can you check this teaser trailer and he basically gives the BBFC a two day deadline or something like that but he says it in such a sweet and nice way it's really funny 
So have you got any um, particularly unusual materials relating to a clockwork orange in your archive? Well, yes, we have. And um, there are a few things that really lend themselves to, um, to popular attention. Kubrick is known for um, his location research. Um, and he, he often sent out scouts or members of his family to view various locations for different purposes before deciding whether to shoot there. And he, he wanted lots and lots of evidence of the places that he was interested in. Um, so we have a, a vast number of location photographs for buildings, for urban landscapes, and particularly for sort of brutalist architecture. Alongside those, we have architectural journals that show them lit beautifully um, and as very pleasant and welcoming places. But in fact, they might not be, for instance. You could see the, um, the underpasses at the South Bank in more than one light, in more than one way, and you could feel comfortable or uncomfortable in them. That's an example of the kind of situation that he was trying to find. We've got lots of evidence of that. And it's the kind of material that inspires student projects as well, because um, some uh, little while ago we had some students who wanted to go and visit all of the locations that Stanley saw and used and they, he wanted to, they wanted to see what they would be like now. So they went to Brunel University, they went to Thamesmead, they went to the South Bank and they shot them uh, with their cameras using the, alongside the script or the direction within the script and then they made a short film of, of that themselves which was then shown in film festivals and helped to launch their careers. Further on in the, in the um, life cycle of making the film, we have a set of materials that are concept artwork for advertising and marketing the film. And um, the director's team sent out uh, a call for artists to provide their ideas of what a clockwork orange should, be, should look like from a brief. And we have a number of pieces of work submitted by those artists. So as well as the successful ones from the artist Philip Castle, we also have the artwork that was rejected. Um, so it's a really interesting set of material for advertising students and for artists and others who are interested in the social context of the film to, to come and view and um, analyse in their own contexts. And then also in the marketing area, we have examples of the patches that were designed. They are iron-on patches that you can put on your clothes. And I believe they're having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. To me, it, it just seems so strange. It's such a violent film as being advertised with something as, as harmless as an iron-on patch. Um, but it's, the, it's one of the iconic images of the, um, the film that everyone recognises and associates with, with the Clockwork Orange. I think what's interesting about all this marketing material as well in, in the fact that it sits in the, in the Kubrick archive is that it shows to us um, a man who was really interested in selling his films, not just making them. Often when you read kind of critical analysis of Kubrick as a filmmaker um, or, and even like the, the kind of fan base things that you get on Facebook and things, everything talks about him as being some kind of exclusive auteur artist who was completely removed from the Hollywood machine but actually the archive puts him right at the heart of it he's a man who not only wants to make good films he also wants to make good films that sell and he's just as interested if not sometimes more interested in selling the film and he's more than willing to actually represent his film 
completely against what he's explained his film is about at the beginning in order to sell it. And that certainly happened with The Clockwork Orange, where upon its release, he was talking about how it was a... um, a considered analysis of violence and also a considered analysis of what the state, a, a morality tale about what the state should and shouldn't do. But then you look at that trailer, you look at some of the other materials, you look at the strap line that was used on all of the posters, it pretty much basically says, this is a film about a man who, or a boy whose um, only joys in life are rape, violence and Beethoven. And that is definitely what the story is about. And I think you mentioned to me before that talking about the business sort of head that Kubrick had in terms of selling the film he put the film out in London only to begin with didn't he and we've got a lot of material in our archive which shows the film being viewed by other local authorities before they decided whether they were going to let it be distributed there BBFC classification aside so I've got letters I know from Nottingham and also from Southport is that do you have anything in your archive that sort of talks about that at all? We have a wonderful photograph where people are queuing up in Paris for the premiere of A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, and it was hugely popular, um, and it was hugely popular in the UK. And uh, like you say, it was released in London first for around about a year. We don't know why Kubrick chose that, but we certainly know from the archive material that it was a decision that Kubrick and Warner's made. And one of our regular long-term researchers, Peter Kramer, his theory is that Kubrick thought that by releasing it in the metropolis for a a year first, it would allow all of the controversy around the film to dissipate and then it would be easier for it to be released in the other local authorities. And I think the files of the BBFC show that the direct opposite. It actually gave organisations like the Festival of Light plenty of time to gather together and to organise a campaign in the different local authorities to try and get the film banned in those local authorities and also to, you know, to petition Parliament and Lord Longford himself decided that he had to watch this film. And, and so that strategy backfired on him. Yeah, it did. And it's a real shame. And now we do have this ongoing myth that the BBFC banned a clockwork orange. But until that myth dissipates, we'll continue to provide interesting materials for students and other members of the public that are interested in the classification of the film. As I said earlier, we will link to the case study for a clockwork orange on our website beneath this podcast. I'll also give you a link to the UAL website where you can read more about the archive and you can have a look at some of those other materials that they've got available that relate to A Clockwork Orange and also Stanley Kubrick's other films. Thank you, Richard and Sarah, for joining us this week. And now remember, if you've got any ideas for the podcast or anything in particular you want to hear about, you can email us on podcast at bbfc.co.uk or you can use the feedback form on the podcast page of the website or you can tweet us at bbfc.